morning, brothers and sisters. It's uh, no secret to those inside or outside of the church that, uh, at least in Western civilization, the, um, the dominance of Christianity is, uh, is not what it used to be. Church attendance is not what it used to be. And um, I think sometimes within the church there's a sense, and rightly so, that we must contend. We must see the church uh, advance. We must, we must see the kingdom of God go forward and, and uh, more people converted. And such is true. Where I think there is perhaps more confusion is how. How do we contend for the faith? Jude, in his letter, second last book of the New Testament, the purpose of his writing, he says very plainly in verse 3, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. But how? How do we contend? You know, there's certainly unhealthy solutions um, posed by many out there. Some might say that to, to contend for the faith, we must make the church more relevant to a progressive world. Maybe we need to update the doctrine, they might say. Maybe we need to soften the tone. Um, Others might say that we need to look at uh, better business sort of growth strategies. We need to improve our marketing online or media sort of uh, presence. We need to reevaluate the budget and sell the product and, and gain more consumers. Uh, maybe they wouldn't use all that language, but that can be sort of the way that some would think about it. And others might even seek uh, to contend for the faith through political or cultural engagement of various sorts. Of course, we are well aware, and no one's really saying this anymore, uh, fighting the good fight of faith is not a matter of warfare overseas. And uh, it's not a matter of putting Christians in places of power either. It's not a matter of proving ourselves smart by winning debates. Jude makes it clear in the conclusion of his letter how we are to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. In the first, uh, say, verses 3 through 16, he gives us the why. He tells us we are to contend and from verse 4 through 16, he tells us why. Why we should contend. In verse 4, he says, Certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So the why, he goes on to expand through those next verses. People are distorting God's grace and denying Christ's lordship in pursuit of debauchery, and such leads to damnation. He's concerned. He gives them many examples of why this is destructive. That's the why. That's the why we must contend. But, but how is the other question. Here's what I think summarizes Jude's message in the conclusion of this letter. We must contend for the faith by remembering the apostles' teaching, by remaining in God's love, and by rescuing the wayward. We take heart during trouble. It shouldn't surprise us when there are imposters, worldly people, we should seek to live a life pleasing to God, praying, growing in Christian maturity, waiting for the return of Christ. We should show mercy to the lost, those who are endangered by eternal flames. 
So again, we must contend for the faith by remembering the apostles' teaching, by remaining in God's love, and by rescuing the wayward. That's what I think Jude would say to us in the conclusion of his letter. Before I read those concluding verses, let's pray again, and we'll consider what he has to say to us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray your blessing upon our time now considering the truth of the scriptures. I pray that you would help me to rightly handle your word, faithfully proclaim it with boldness, with love, with passion, and uh, most of all, Lord, in the power of your Holy Spirit, knowing, God, that only by your Spirit can you change us, can you save the lost. Oh God, may your Spirit be at work among us now. Would you portray Christ before our eyes once again, his saving work, and would you help us to have our eyes fixed on him as we walk through this world, O oh Lord, would you bless our time now? Would any who are lost come to trust in Jesus Christ even today? And so we thank you for this time. We ask your blessing upon it in Christ's name. Amen. So if you haven't already turned there, please turn to Jude, second last book of the Bible. Short little letter. I'll read from verse 17 until the end of the letter. This is what the word of the Lord says. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forevermore. Amen. This is God's Word. Jude writes as he is carried along by the Holy Spirit, and some of you may not have been here last time when we looked at the beginning of Jude's letter. I'll summarize some of the context for you. Jude is, as he introduces himself at the beginning of the letter, he is the brother of James, and James being the, the brother of Jesus, or, or the half-brother of Jesus, given the virgin birth. So Jude, likewise, is the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, yet he doesn't call himself that. He calls himself the brother of James, and he calls himself a slave of Jesus Christ. He speaks of Jesus Christ as his only master and Lord. What a, what a humbling thought, isn't it? that our Lord's own brother would speak of him not as even his brother, though that is true, but as his Lord and Master. This is Jude. And Jude, like James and the other brothers, uh, opposed Jesus during his ministry. Yet it seems uh, after the resurrection, as uh, certainly James saw the Lord uh, after his resurrection, probably Jude as well, along with the, the other 12 apostles and so on. Um, Jude seems to have been converted after the resurrection. Because in the beginning of Acts, he and his brothers are there with the apostles and the early disciples praying. And uh, later on, uh, Paul remarks that Jude was among those who would be preaching and leading in the early church. 
the brothers of the Lord, were doing so. So Jude had a leadership and preaching and teaching role in the early church. Uh, Certainly James was considered an apostle, and um, though it's not explicitly said of Jude, I think that's likely as well. And, um, And so here we have Jude writing to unknown believers in an unknown place, but nonetheless, the truth of his message to them rings true for us today. And though we don't know who Jude wrote to or the exact situation, what is clear is this. Certain people, he says, have crept in unnoticed, um, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. These people were claiming to be Christians, yet were unconverted and showed, showed themselves to be unconverted by their life. Through their actions, they denied the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and they were confusing the church or the churches that Jude's writing to. And so Jude is concerned for them. He doesn't want them to follow in their example. He doesn't want them to uh, undermine the very gospel of their salvation and, uh, and go down the road of destruction. And so, this is Jude's letter. We have looked already in, uh, in a former week at his explanation of his concern, his examples from the Old Testament, his examination of the character of the false teachers. We come at the end of his letter to his final exhortation, his admonition to Christians. We know why uh, they must contend. Now he tells us how. How are we to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints? And so, as I said before, we contend by remembering the apostles' teaching, remaining in God's love, rescuing the wayward. And really, that's the structure of this passage, and we'll work through it that way. So to begin, verses 17 and Uh, 17 through 19, remember, remember. He says, you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, at this time, this this is likely the preaching that they've heard from the apostles themselves. Perhaps some of the New Testament was already penned as well and passed around. But these folks were living during the lifetime of at least some of the apostles who had yet to die. They had heard their preaching. And one common theme, we see it in the book of Acts, even in some of the the preaching there as well, one common theme is, is, is there's a warning. In the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. See, brothers and sisters, even... From the beginning of the Christian church during the apostles' ministry, they were warning about being in the last days, the last time, following the ascension of Jesus Christ, waiting for His return. This period of Christian history is frequently referred to in the New Testament as the last days or the last time as we see here in our passage And in this period, there are those who will wreak havoc among the body of Christ. Scoffers, they're called here. And and Peter, as uh, Roger read earlier, Peter takes Jude's letter in the second and third chapter of his own second letter, and he uh, expands upon it. Peter expands about how these scoffers will deny the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, the final judgment and, and so on. Some of the teaching is expanded upon. Now, it's hard to say whether or not Jude and Peter have the exact same situation in mind, but, uh, but there are scoffers who follow their own ungodly passions. They scoff at the, the commands of God and sound doctrine found in Holy Scripture. And they do so to excuse sin. 
And so what Jude is saying here is we shouldn't be surprised. We should not be shocked when such things happen. They shouldn't be shocked back then. We shouldn't be shocked today when the same thing happens in our day. We shouldn't be shocked by scoffing inside or outside of the church. This is to be expected. And he's already described in detail the character of, uh, of such people. He sums it up again in verse 19. These who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. And the attitude really is this. I'll eat what I want. I'll drink as much as I want. I'll smoke whatever I want. I will consume whatever I want. I'll watch whatever I want. I will um, marry whoever I want. I'll do whatever I want with my body. These people, whether they come in the church or whether they are out of the, out of the church, it is a pursuit of ungodly passions that is characteristic. And so we see today. And so we see today. And we shouldn't be surprised by this, is what he's saying. Remember, remember what the apostles said. This has been a theme. This has been a common warning from the apostles. Remember that warning. Don't allow it to confuse you or discourage you or distract you from what is central and important. Don't allow it to bring you off course from pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ. Later on, he uh, speaks of, in verse 23, uh, every garment stained by the flesh. Perhaps another way of looking at this, um, this uh, group of imposters is to recognize that they are, they are those devoid of the Spirit, but they are those who are walking according to the works of the flesh. And you know, the Apostle Paul gives us a helpful list of characteristics, excuse me, um, as well, in Galatians chapter 5, there is a difference between those who have been born again filled with the Holy Spirit and those who continue to walk according to the flesh, who are in the natural fallen state, as we all once were, by the way. And, uh, and that difference is, uh, is very um, striking. Here's what, uh, here's what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians Chapter 5, a common passage, I'm sure, for many of us, one we're well familiar with, but, but one I'll read again for us in terms of reflecting and applying um, our passage. He says this, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5, verse 16 and onward, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so the Apostle Paul gives us some very helpful, practical ways to see this distinction. The scoffers who had impacted the folks that Jude is writing to were devoid of the Spirit, he says. Worldly people. 
and, um, and uh, stained by the flesh, he says in verse 23. Brothers and sisters, we need to repent of such characteristics if they have at all impacted our lives. Be careful, be on guard. And as well, may we keep in step with the Spirit. He's going to speak about in a moment uh, building ourselves up in, the, in our most holy faith. What does that look like? Well, it, it looks like pursuing these virtues and seeking the Lord's strength and um, in empowering and encouraging to be able to live in such a way, a life pleasing to God. And so my question for everyone here is, when we read a passage like that, Galatians 5, when we, when we look at the description in, in Jude, he says in verse 16 of, of these ungodly people, they are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. He speaks of them and their sensuality and their rejection of authority and, and so on. Brothers and sisters, or, or, or everyone here today, I should say, is this true of you? If it's true of you, there must be repentance. There must be confession of sin and turning away from it. See, I, I, I keep using the word imposter, and, and what I mean by that is not uh, someone new to the church. It's not a visitor. It's not a Christian who has stumbled into sin. I'm speaking about someone who embraces a life of sin without repentance and excuses it by making reference to God's grace without any desire to turn from sin. That was the sort of um, situation that was in the background here. And may that not be true of any of us uh, as well. And, and, and may we have the clarity of mind to recognize uh, folks like that and not be influenced by them. See, that's Jude's concern. So we remember... And secondly, we uh, are called to remain, to keep ourselves in the love of God, he says in verse 21. That's the second main command in this passage. And, you know, he, he explains that command with a few different uh, verbs, a few different words here. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So we are to remain, we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. Now, that's almost, if you really think about it, that might seem like a strange phrase to our ears. Keep yourself in the love of God. Earlier on in the letter, when he started his letter, he spoke of the church as those beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. So Christians, we are already loved by God. We are already kept for Christ Jesus. So how can Jude then say later in these verses, keep yourselves in the love of God? Isn't it God who keeps us? Isn't it God who loves us? And of course, that's true. Um, let me explain it this way. See, uh, Don Carson, I think Pastor Carl made reference to this book in prayer meeting some weeks back. Don Carson uh, wrote a book called The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. And you might not think it's a difficult doctrine until you really start thinking about verses like this one. Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. And... Um, let me explain it this way. I think uh, Don Carson uses a similar illustration. Parents love their children regardless of their actions. They, they love their children simply because, well, you're my child. I gave birth to you, you know, if you're the mother, and um, you're my son or my daughter. You're my child, and I love you no matter what. 
And that is true of God the Father for us as believers as well. We are in a state of His love. And yet, nonetheless, parents know very well uh, that children are not always experiencing the, you might say, the, the joyous good pleasure of their parents' love. Okay? So, if a, if a child disobeys and is corrected or is disciplined, they're not experiencing the joyous good pleasure of their parents' love the same way that a child might on graduation day when he looks out and sees his mother smiling in the audience at graduation or uh, a child who um, shares his toys with a sibling and sees his father um, pat him on the head. Uh, There's a difference there, isn't there? That doesn't mean that the parent uh, doesn't love the child that they're correcting. Of course they do. But there's a different experience then of that love. And, and you might even say, as, as Jude says here, you might even say to the child who is rebelling, keep yourself in the love of your parents. Live in a way, in other words, live in a way pleasing to your parents that brings their joyous smile and their their good pleasure. See, because when we rebel against the Lord or disobey the Lord, He disciplines us for our good, yes, and that's an expression of His love for us. And yet, we're not going to be disciplined in eternity. That is the, the perfection of our relationship with Him where there is no discipline needed anymore because we, uh, we have been perfected and, and uh, His love is... Um, is shown to us only in that good pleasure sort of sense. And so Jude is saying to these Christians, keep yourselves in the love of God. We, are, uh, we, we believe in the, uh, the perseverance of the saints and we believe in the preservation of the saints. God preserves His people and they persevere until the end. And so we see in Scripture times where we speak about, say, as Jude does in the beginning of his letter, God the Father keeps us for Jesus Christ. And yet we also see commands like this one, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And so how do we go about living this life pleasing to God? Well, We don't get distracted. Rather, we build ourselves up in our most holy faith. We seek to grow in Christian maturity. We seek to serve the church and and be blessed by others at church and, and, uh, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, as Peter says. And, um, and we pray. We pray in the Holy Spirit. You see, Jude was found there in the beginning of Acts at those first prayer meetings. Jude was there. He was praying along with the other early Christians. And you know what resulted? The advancement of the kingdom of God. We see the gospel proclaimed. We see the Spirit of God pour down at Pentecost. We see many people saved. The church built. Persecution comes. They scatter. And it happens again and again. And more people are saved. And they continue to pray. And they continue to witness the Gospel. And they continue to see God save the lost. And the good news of Jesus Christ go to the nations. And so Jude, this man of prayer, says to the church, you want to contend for the faith? We must do so By praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ to God the Father. Seeking God's kingdom to come here on earth. And the third way that he he sort of modifies, explains this way that we live, pleasing to God, keeping ourselves in the love of God, is, is this, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ Our whole life is a life that should be marked by patience, looking to the return of Christ, realizing that He is coming again. You heard those sirens earlier. 
We hear those sirens. We all of a sudden, the hair stands up on the back of our necks. We feel a sense of urgency, don't we? Well, when we hear of a phrase like the last days, we should feel a sense of urgency. Christ is coming again. Yes, as Peter says, reflecting and applying Jude's letter, he says um, people keep bringing up the fact that Christ hasn't come yet. Well, yeah, that's true, but a day uh, is like a thousand years and a thousand years a day in the Lord's sight. And, um, and yet there is a sense of urgency. Christ is going to return. He's coming As we saw in the earlier portion of Jude, he's coming to execute judgment and he's coming to show mercy to his people and usher in eternal life and final redemption for all who believe. And that is what we're waiting for. That is what we're looking for, patiently persevering for. That is how we go about the Christian life. You know, it's easy to become distracted or confused or depressed or discouraged, we look around, we think, what is going on? Well, how are we to contend? We're to contend by remembering the apostles' teaching, their predictions. We're to contend by remaining in the love of God, seeking to please Him through growing in our faith, praying, and waiting for Christ's return. And lastly, this last word of application, we are to rescue the wayward. We must contend for the faith by remembering the apostles' teaching, remaining in God's love, and rescuing the wayward. Verses 22 and 23. And and don't worry, we'll get to the doxology at the end as well. Rescuing the wayward. He says this in verse 22 and 23. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So, uh, depending on your translation, mine certainly um, groups these folks into three different categories. Those who doubt, others who are in danger of fire, and then others who have been defiled, stained by the flesh. But the truth is that every single one of these folks needs the mercy of God and needs our attention and our care and our witness. And it seems that Jude maybe has in mind people who have been influenced to various degrees by these imposters who have um, denied the lordship of Christ by their actions and perverted the grace of God and perhaps were also engaged in false teaching. These folks have been influenced to various degrees. Some, some are doubting. Some are, you know, confused. Others are in danger of the fires of hell. They're, they're maybe veering off course. And the third group has, it seems, full-on full embraced the same sort of lifestyle and... Um, the same sort of actions as these imposters. Maybe he's even referring to the, the imposters themselves. They're stained. They've soiled their garments. And, um, and such is a picture of sin. But each of these needs mercy. Each of these, like us, needs the mercy of God. And you know... Um, God's mercy, God's saving grace comes to people through the church, through the witness of Christians like you and me. You know, this passage is actually, especially these verses here, is a a section of Scripture very close to my heart. Um, Some years ago, I think I was 18 at the time, I was saved in my early teens, and I... uh, I had finished Christian high school. I pursued a career in firefighting. That had been my kind of childhood dream, at least from my uh, teenage years, early teenage years. And I uh, got accepted into Conestoga College, and I started a course, a year and a half course in firefighting. 
to become a fireman. I wanted to see people helped. wanted to help people. A lot of folks describe their career ambitions in such terms, wanting to help people. And that was true of me as well. And yet, uh, my high school principal, I was uh, friends with his daughter, and we're in the same friend group, and he said to his daughter, you know, pass along to Jake this advice or admonition from me. He said, ask Jake if he'd rather save lives or save souls. I thought, I heard that. That's a little bit presumptuous, don't you think? Um, You know, it's the Lord who saves souls, first of all. And uh, who are you to call into question my career of choice? Um, But, uh, you know, I was a I was a teenager at the time too, so not always quick to receive uh, advice. And um, I thought about that a little bit, and I read these verses. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear. You know, the truth is, though Christ is our Savior, though Christ is the one who died on the cross to save us from our sins, He bled for us. He atoned through His sacrifice. Nonetheless, God works through His people to bring salvation to the lost. And so Jude says here, save others by snatching them out of the fire. And of course, what this, what this means is that people are involved in God's saving work by preaching the gospel, by witnessing the gospel. The Lord took that advice and impressed this verse upon my heart and also worked through the counsel of my pastor. And uh, I was convinced that I should change course. I finished firefighting, but I knew partway through this is not what I'm going to do with my life. And... um, Perhaps there's some here today that, that might make a similar decision. Maybe some of the young folks, the boys, think similarly. What would you give your life to? Would you give your life to making the good news of salvation known to the lost? But nonetheless, whether someone goes into mission work or pastoral ministry or what have you, All of us, all of those whom Jude writes to and all of us here have this duty, this responsibility to make the good news of salvation known to the lost, to show mercy toward those who are endangered by eternal flames. You see, um, if your neighbor's house was on fire, they're sleeping, And you saw that. Well, the natural thing to do, the loving thing to do, the obvious thing to do, would be to call 911, maybe pound on their door, shout. Maybe if you're even daring enough and loving enough, you might even run in and try to help get somebody out of there. But certainly, at the very least, you should call 911 and start shouting and calling them to come up, waking them up to the peril that they're in. Now, what if somebody saw their neighbor's house on fire and they just stood there and they just looked at it? They didn't call. They didn't warn them. They didn't wake them up. They just stood there or they walked away. They went back in their own home. They let the house burn to the ground, the people inside sleeping. What would you say about someone like that? Is that a good thing to do? It's evil. That's evil. Brothers and sisters, there are people who are going to burn in hell forever for sin. That's where we were going to go. How could we not warn them? How could we not call upon the Lord for help? Call 911. Call upon the Lord. Call the, the only one who can save. Say, God, save these people from eternal fire and judgment. Could we do nothing and wash our hands of it and be 
clear in our consciences? I think not. I think not. Brothers and sisters, we have a duty to proclaim the Gospel. If we see someone caught up in sin, deceived, going down the road to destruction, we must warn them. You know, in Jude's context, it seems he's talking about even people within the church who are doubting, who are deceived, who are defiled by their sin. Of course, that's how much more true is that outside the church? And um, he, he makes reference to this hating every garment stained by the flesh, and, and it seems that he might be alluding to a portion of Scripture in Zechariah. In Zechariah, there is this very vivid scene. Let's turn there together before we conclude. Zechariah chapter 3. The end of your Old Testament, just before Malachi. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. There is this scene, such a profound scene. He says this, Then he showed me, this is Zechariah speaking, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let, him, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Joshua, even the high priest Joshua, stands there as a man on his own defiled by his sin. It speaks of filthy garments. This, this is not a pretty picture. These filthy garments might be compared to the same garments you find your child wearing after a bit of a, an accident. And any parent of young children knows exactly what I'm talking about. Filthy garments. This high priest stands before the presence of God in filthy garments. That is a picture of our sin, folks. That is a picture of anyone who stands alone in their sin before the presence of a holy God as one in defiled garments. And Jude makes reference in, in the New Testament of these garments stained. And the specific word for garment there is one which is worn close to the flesh. You might say even the underwear just says garment, stained by the flesh. And our sin is pictured in this way. But here is the beautiful thing. Joshua, even this man, the high priest, stands stained in his garment, stained in his sin. And God takes him out of the fire like a stick from the fire. He pulls him out. He takes that man in his sin and he cleanses him. And he says, you're forgiving. Your iniquity has been taken away. And he clothes him in perfect righteousness. And the man stands there justified before God. That is a picture of our salvation. And, and every single one of us needs that. If you're here today and you found that some of the Sins in our passage have described you, and, and truth be told, we can all find some application for ourselves. But if you're here today and you are in the flesh and you are characterized by worldly, ungodly passions and you are devoid of the Spirit, you need the mercy of God. 
And you can go to the Lord pleading for mercy and find that your filthy garments are taken away. The filth of your sin is cleansed. Your iniquity is removed. And God can clothe you in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And He does so simply when you trust in Him. When you turn from your sin and you trust in Him, He clothes you anew. And you are perfect in the sight of God because of what Jesus has done. You're not stained. No, as it says in the concluding verses, He will one day present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. That is the hope of the Gospel. Rather than eternal flames, simply by trusting in Christ, sinners receive mercy. Sinners like you and me receive mercy, are cleaned. And so, what Jude is saying by way of application is rescue the wayward. Have mercy on these people. Don't don't have bitterness toward them. Don't Don't have contempt toward them. Sure, yes, we should hate the sin. Hate even the garment stained by the flesh. But have mercy on these people. Snatch them from the fire. Do so with fear, realizing you don't want to be contaminated yourself by their sin. You don't want to be influenced by them. You don't want to fall into the same destruction that they're going toward. You don't want to to have uh, your own desires corrupted. But no, we should show mercy. We should show mercy. So, again, by way of Summary, we must contend for the faith by remembering the apostles' teaching, by remaining in God's love, and by rescuing the wayward. Now you might ask, how? We've looked at the how, and we might need to look again at the how to do the how. You know, in our house right now, we've got uh, the why question. Why? Time, time for bed. Why? Well, you know, you, you need rest. Why? Well, God made us to need to rest at the end of the day so we have energy the next day. Why? And that gets you thinking, doesn't it? Well, well the Lord wants us to know our, our weakness and our, and our needs so that we might depend on Him and find eternal rest in Jesus. Why? Well, and then, you know, you can only go so far with that. And, and here we have the how. How should we contend? Well, we've answered that, I hope. But how? Again, how? We need God's grace. We need God's strength to apply these admonitions. And so Jew concludes his letter with a benediction rather a a doxology, sorry. He concludes with a doxology of praise to God. He says, to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And so we can look to our God for strength. He is able. He is able to equip us for the task before us. He is able to help us persevere, to keep us from stumbling. Often uh, on weekends, I like to go for hikes with my boys. And my son, he doesn't like to walk on his own often. He reaches up for his father's hand. And you know, there's much to learn from that. My son knows a few things. The terrain is treacherous. He might fall. His father is strong enough to hold him up. So he must draw near to his father to be kept from stumbling. Brothers and sisters, may we, having read through Jude, learn those same lessons. The terrain in our world is treacherous. There is all sorts of ungodliness 
and evil. And sometimes it even slips its way into the church. And we must be careful. Otherwise, we will stumble. We will fall. We need the help of our God. He can keep us from stumbling. May we draw near to Him. And in the end, it is Him who will present us before the presence of His glory with great joy. Some of this writing has been hard. It's hard on our ears. Jude is a man of love. He, he keeps calling the church beloved, 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 beloved. And understand that, that this is a letter of, of, of love and, and a letter that is to produce joy. In the end, though there are some hard words, in the end, you heed these warnings, you believe the gospel, God presents you before Himself great joy, everlasting joy, joy forever in His presence. And so He deserves all the glory. Not us, though He may use us. He alone gets the glory. Our only God, our Savior, He gets the glory, the majesty, the dominion, the authority, always, for all time, now and forever. And so, brothers and sisters, may we too praise God for His work in our lives, and may we seek others to likewise know His mercy as He has shown it to us. We must contend for the faith by remembering the apostles' teaching, by remaining in God's love, and by rescuing the wayward. I hope that that is a lesson which we will be keen to to heed in the days to come. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us to put it into practice. We look to you the only God, our only Savior. We need your help. We thank you for your mercy and we, we long to see your mercy shown to those around us, our family, our friends, our, our neighbors, our co-workers. They need this salvation. They need the message of the Gospel. Help us to be those of courage who in love and mercy make it known to them as well. Keep us from being confused, distracted, led astray from doubting, O Lord. But may we be built up in our most holy faith. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.